good morning, Sun Valley Church. Welcome back to the Voices of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and uh, we have the dynamic duo this morning with Pastor John and Pastor Rick. Dynamic trio. Trio. I'm lucky day. <laughs> it's been so a while. Three amigos. I know it's been a while since so we've all been in the same room. Thank you. In case you didn't <laughs> catch that. Thank you. Yeah. Has been. Why haven't we been in the same room? I don't know. John? Relationship difficulties. <laughs> let's, let's just say Oikos number one is not going so well. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't even know this was Oikos number one until Sunday. It is. <laughs> it's the inner circle, the inner sanctum. This is like the inner, inner Oikos. I mean, this inner pod- circle at a square table. The podcasting room is, yeah. Yeah, so today, John and Rick, we're talking about our circles of influence. This is based off of uh, something that I heard recently preached (laughs) on, and uh, yeah, I think it was good. I think it was good. Um, I guess to get us started, John and Rick, um, when we're thinking about the context of of this passage here in in Mark... um, what was the cultural setting uh, for for the disciples, for the Jewish people, I guess? Um, why why was their oikos number one uh, so important? Well, I think it's it was important to them for the same reasons it ought to be important to us. Um, God intends us to live in community. You know, we we are created within a community we're born into a physical family we have uh, places we live and connections we make all designed by god to keep us healthy humans outside of the context of christianity that is the fact that's we're, we're a relational being and we are relational because god's relational we're created in his image and mm-hmm. god is in relationship father son and spirit and <clears throat> that of course um, I don't want to take this too far, but that is a model. Mm. The the unity, the the interdependency, the uh, well, that's the the, the interconnectedness yeah. of the Trinity is really a a model and and a source from which we get our our um, our being, and so we have to live the way we're created and and we're created to be in community we were created to be in friendship and fellowship with people and so in the first century um when you know you read here in mark chapter one that that they went to peter's house um tradition says that his house was very close to the synagogue in capernaum of course capernaum wasn't a big town it was you know small town we looked it up last night in our small group and there's 1500 people there about (laughs) Uh, in Capernaum, currently, oh, at the time, Jesus oh, time, oh, okay. Jesus day, um, and so it wasn't a great place. I mean, big place, but it was still big enough to have different oikos groups. Sure, but they lived in uh, a oikos in reality. So Peter's home was um, really one of a few different families that lived in the same 
building. Mm-hmm. It was uh, they, their homes were built around a courtyard, and all the families would enter through this one door or gate and enter into the courtyard, and from the courtyard, go to their particular private dwelling. Mm-hmm. But they all knew each other closely. They, were, they lived life together around that courtyard. Their their women cooked around in that courtyard, and so they knew each other. They they were connected yeah. in every way. Yeah. Um, they saw each other daily. They, when they got up, they saw each other in the courtyard, had their coffees together, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, that's how they lived, and that's how... I think when we talk about our oikos, I'm not saying we need to join a commune. I'm saying we need to live connected lives. Sure. Um, our first oikos is designed to keep us connected to one another. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So how does how does our our culture um, affect how we think about our oikos? I guess. Well, I think our culture is a result of um, centuries of. Um, influence from the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, when you live in community, when you live in transparent, accountable relationships, um, it, it's, it can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I mean, people know your foibles and see when you get upset with your kids or when they understand that you have marital challenges, when they know you got financial difficulties, you know, that's uncomfortable. And so we have done, you know, what every selfish human does, and that is isolate. Um, In the 1950s, they started, you know, well, actually it was in the 60s, they started building houses with attached garages. Before that, they were all separate garages. So you park your car in your garage, you'd walk out of your garage and into your front yard, wave at your neighbor, have a conversation with your neighbor, walk into your house. Now, you drive into your house, mm-hmm. you know, and that started happening in the 60s with yeah. attached garages. And now you don't have to interact with your neighbor. You don't want to interact with your neighbor. You just soon not see them. Yeah. And we've created our houses so we don't have to. Right. We're, we're, we're isolated, and we like it. We like not being uncomfortable, not having to greet people, be kind to people, get to know people. We just soon pull into our house, literally, walk into the TV room and eat our dinner in front of the TV and then go to bed and start again tomorrow. Uh, and that's been the prevailing direction of our culture since the 60s. And it's, But the, the cultural th- part of that began way before that. Yeah. 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 I, I, as we think about this first Oikos, we don't like... I think you were just saying this. We don't like uh, having people see our faults. Right. But being a part of an oikos, being a part of the family, uh, means that you see people's messes. Yeah, you have to one another Yeah. in that setting, right? Yeah. Forgive one another. Love one another. Those things, you know, in essence, require you to be transparent with your yeah. issues. Yeah. So... If you love one another and forgive one another, it's because somebody's done something wrong. Yeah. So that's that's what's so difficult about it. Yeah. I have to forgive Rick a lot, so yeah, it's difficult. 
Yeah. But I do it. You know, and speaking of culturally, um, I'm going to move away from your comment because I don't understand it. Uh, house, like in the New Testament, when you look at household codes uh, that Paul that Paul talks about in like Ephesians and Colossians, um, he's getting into that community would include slaves and masters. Um, they were part of the household, and so and you know he, when he's talking in Philemon to what is the basis for. Really, when you look at it historically, there's an argument to be made, and I heard that argument made recently that that the letter of Philemon um, is the is what began the dissolution of slavery in West in the West, um, because Paul lays the foundation there and shows that Onesimus, part of Philemon's household, who ran away and returned under Paul's direction, uh, the basis for his um, being treated. Uh, not harshly, uh, was the gospel. And so within the household, the gospel, even working between a slave and a master, was something that transcended those classifications. And that's a really, I think that's a powerful thing, because when you get down to, like what John was talking about on Sunday, about um, love within an oikos, uh, that really gets at everything that we would, we would look at and go, that's a pretty stark division. Mm-hmm. Right, slaves and masters. I've never been in a relationship that's quite so stark as that, thankfully. Um, and yet the gospel gets right in there and has implications for how we love within the household. And so it's it's a lot more than just the American nuclear family, like yeah. John was saying. Yeah, yeah. So when we when we think about this first oikos, um, uh, I think it could be easy for us to become isolated even within the oikos right uh we can show up to church we can show up to small group we can show up to sunday seminars and and yet still be isolated so what what would you say to someone who who may be that way they they show up to church and they they think they're a part of the oikos uh, but in actuality they're still they're still really isolated what what would be your guys's encouragement to them well i think i think that's important to make a distinction between being in an oikos and being in a church i don't yeah. think that just because you're in a church you're in the oikos yeah um i think that that there's a lot of people who don't even think in oikos terms in household terms and family terms when they come to church yeah. church is a is a box that needs to be checked off it's something that that they don't consider to be personal, uh, more, at least beyond them being there. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't. I think it's a, a, a grave misunderstanding of what it means to be in the family of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, showing up to church isn't being in oikos. You know, part, even showing up to small group, unfortunately, yeah. isn't being in an oikos. It's not like walking into a room. You know, and I, I think that might be part of the the origination of misunderstanding on this issue. It's not because you're in this building, you're part of the church. Yeah, You're not. What, what makes you part of the church is the work of Christ. And if he has done his work, then these things will become important to you. Being connected, being transparent, being loving, considering others is more important than yourselves, Philippians 2. Yeah. So, yeah, so first of all, I would I would challenge the perception of oikos or maybe explain the term to them, which is what part of my sermon was about on Sunday. 
trying to get Sun Valley Church to think more deeply about what it means to be a part of a church family, a household, uh, oikos. And of course, that term oikos comes from the Greek word for household, which is used in verse 29 in Mark 1. Yeah. So I, I would say if, if they think that they're a part of an oikos and they're just showing up on Sunday and not re- never connecting beyond that, they, they misunderstand and they're, they're living in sin. Yeah, to bring up just the the family core again, if any of us just went home and said we were a part of the family but never really engaged with the family, we would be disillusioned, right? Like we would be... And your wife would be disillusioned. (laughs) (laughs) So so would she. (laughs) There's the the term sham marriage exists for a reason. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, There can be a legal reality that doesn't actually have any no one would know, right? And and I think yeah, there are people who have been part of this church for uh, the better part of two decades who aren't engaging like it was a family. Hmm. Because, and that's a conscious, I think it's a conscious decision hmm. because you can be as, uh, you can be as present and superficial as you want. And you can be present all the time and superficial. The sad thing is, is that they think that it's normal. Right. Those who are not connected mm-hmm. and who've been here for the entire time of our life, life of our church, mm-hmm. to think it's normal. Well, this is, I get to choose how involved I'm going to be at church. And that's true. Right. But if you're not involved, you're not part of the church. <laughs> so there's the misunderstanding. Yeah. And it doesn't have to do with, oh, I served, you know, it no. has to do with choosing to be, well, our, we just went over our Sun Valley mission statement mm-hmm. at our uh, Sunday seminar on Sunday. Because uh, it's the basis of our philosophy of missions. What are we about? Well, we are, Sun Valley Church exists to create an authentic Christian community. A lot of times, a number of people go straight to gospel-centered, grace-driven, and mission-minded, and they don't realize that the thing that is underneath that, that allows us to do that together, is the authentic Christian community. Mm-hmm. That's a community shaped by the gospel, but it, it's a choice to be authentic. And it's beyond creed. Yeah, Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. We need to hold the same, doc, you know, doctrinal. We need to hold the gospel in common. Sure. And the way that we show we hold it in common is by having, you know, a common life, which is it includes more than attendance. Yeah. It's being known, really, is what it is, and knowing others, serving them, and being part of their life. Yeah. So how does how does this first oikos help us think about that that second core of people that you're talking about that second oikos? How I think what brings people together, at least one of the in, in more important things that brings us together in that first oikos, is a, co- a common commitment to a mission. Hmm. In fact, in this case, the Great Commission. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that central to who we are as believers? I think it is, and yeah. so we see that in Matthew 28. We see that all through the Book of Acts. There's a common commitment to the mission that Christ gave us as his church um, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, right? Yeah. Teaching, baptizing, and so forth. Um, that's, that's what unifies us. It's what uh, keeps us focused. It's why we give. It's why, um, you know, if you're going to build a... Uh, successful 
business, successful sports team, you got to be committed to a vision, an idea. Um, even with a family, you know, your own biological family, it's helpful to have some kind of a vision for what that family's about. Hmm. You know, so you, you talk about that with your kids and your spouse, and you yeah you maybe even write stuff down when we were raising our kids we we would write stuff on butcher paper and look at it and say this is what we're about you know the schubert family does this not this they do this not that and we talked about it and so when i was coaching soccer in high school every year we would have these um mission retreats what's our mission this year and well, we want to have less than 10 goals scored on us this year. We, we want to be successful, and that's the way you determine it. Defense would say that, of course. And our offensive people, well, we want to score more than 75 goals. Okay, so here we're starting to make a list. You know, it turns out every year they want to be state champions. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> no matter how bad we were. Um, and that's when the leader would come in and say, let's be realistic here. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> But it's the same in the church. I mean, we what what drives us to the second oikos to answer your question directly is the great commission. Yeah. Is the command to go and make disciples. And the, we have to have our our first oikos committed to that. Mm. And I don't think that commitment can happen without a commitment to one another. Mm. I just don't think it works. I mean, just logically you who's going to want to come to a church where, where no one is really truly friends yeah right i mean it's, it's better to be at the bar right you know wherever at least there everybody knows your name <laughs> right nice so <laughs> nice. Hey, Jer, so, what are you what are you doing tonight <laughs> i guess i'm going to the well, bar you know what i mean yeah so <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm using the literal, literal hermeneutic right now. Yeah. What you said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want somebody coming over to my house if I didn't, you know, enjoy my family or being. And they wouldn't want to be there. And they wouldn't want to be there either. No. Yeah. What, what makes one of the things that makes a church attractive is that the dividing wall of hostility has been eliminated. Mm-hmm. Right, we are mm-hmm. one in Christ. We're equal in Christ. We're, you know, yeah. we're saved by grace. The gospel is what makes us attractive. And if the if we play out the gospel, live the implications of the gospel out, oikos number one will be a loving place, a yeah. functional place, an attractive place. Yeah. Well, it, could you make the argument that like big evangelicalism, the 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 large churches, the big music, the the lights, the show, and everything, is is um, taking the place of that oikos because because that that foundation isn't there. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, the, the, yeah, that's... like it, it puts off that that we are going to an event, not that we are gathering as a family. Right. Yeah, and it's I think there's a that's something that to definitely watch for yeah. in those bigger environments. And yet, there are big environments they don't use the the big lights and the sure. smoke sure but like okay so just the one that came to mind because i've been there grace community church you know we go for the shepherds conference mm-hmm. um i talked to we've talked to some of the profs down at masters and who go there and you're just like it's a church of like five thousand people but they have 
oikos is within that. And so really, it's one church that is made up of many churches that have their own pastors in smaller groups of 50 or whatever. And they really do intentionally seek that out. Mm-hmm. And I, this was this was a kind of a fine line I was trying to walk on Sunday about I intentionally didn't want to describe Sun Valley Church as oikos number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, technically we are if we're in Christ, right? But practically, um, my oik because we're not a big church, but we're not a small church. We're right. we're two hundred, two hundred fifty, and we really cannot live life with all two hundred fifty people. That's right. You right. can't do that. So we have the way we've tried to do it here is to create small groups of people who will meet together regularly, pray together, love one another eat together, vacation together, be that oikos number one together. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't expect all 250 of us to live in a commune and to have everything in common. And no, I I realized the day in which we live, right? We have actual attached garages, but we need to we need to intentionally do something about this isolation that we've grown up in, yeah. in that church's existence. So how do we do that? We've decided as a church to create small groups of people that gather throughout the week and encourage them to live out the commands of Christ, to live out the, the, the expectations of the biblical oikos number one in front of each other and in front of their neighbors. Yeah. That's what we're, that's the plan. Yeah. And I would, or you know, there's there's people at this church that I've been part of this church with for 12 years, and I've not been over to their house, and they haven't been over to mine. There's just there are some, right? right. Because it is that big. The average number, the average size of a church in America is 75. We're well above that, and it's not about not wanting to be with people. It's just life happens, yeah. and but that's where the intentionality comes in. And I'd argue that that's that's the model we see from Acts, right? So we never find the words small groups in the New Testament, just like we never find the words church membership. But you can definitely look at the concepts and say that that is the norm. That is the expectation of the New Testament, that you be a church member and that you be affiliated, you know, with a small group type of mentality. So in Acts, right, the church, the first church, 3,000 people got added to that church the first day. So you got a a church of 3,200 roughly on day one wow, that's pretty, how are we going to do this? Well, it says they broke bread in each other's homes from how, and went from house to house every day. Well, and Paul said, greet those who meet in Chloe's home. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the home of so-and-so. Yeah. He, he's always addressing, like the church in Rome, right. three or four different oikoses. Yeah. Totally. In his, in his, you know, conclusion. Yeah. So we're not inventing small groups. That's right. not something we're doing. Exactly. Yeah. And like the church, some of those households could hold 200 people when you had a wealthy patron who was mm-hmm. a, like like in Corinth. They were probably meeting Like Jeremy, the wealthy about, patron. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. House of 200. Come on over. 190 of which are Look at Jeremy his backyard. and his wife and their kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> but then you'd have small groups within that. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie and Millie, you go over it. So... Paul wrote to the Corinthian church uh, saying, if anyone's in Christ, he's a, he's a new creation. Behold, uh, the old has passed. 
Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 18. Um, why, why is it so hard for us to see that the gift that we've been given to us, that's been given to us in Christ and taking that ministry of reconciliation to this second group? Why is it difficult? There's a few things, I think. Um, the obvious one, of course, is we, we worship at the altar of personal comfort, okay. right? We don't want to be uncomfortable. We think we deserve comfort. It's a right almost. And so when something is uncomfortable, it, I don't, I can, I'm an American, right? I can choose not to do uncomfortable things. And so I decide that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's one of the problems. We just, we just not committed um, to the point where we're going to give up our comfort. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, um, your level of commitment to anything, um, it is, is determined by that. It's like, how uncomfortable is it going to make me right. to, to do that or to do this? And well, man, that's going to cost me this in time, in money. So no, no, I'm not going to do that. And so we decide not to do certain things based on on that. Another thing is just the fear of man. Yeah. You know, we talked about this recently. Fear of man versus the fear of God. I think was in the liturgy this past Sunday. And I think that's another issue that you know, makes us hesitant to go into that second oikos with the gospel because we want to be liked. We want to be, um, we don't have people sing our praises. And if you're out there being a, a motivated evangelist, a lot of times you're going to run into some pushback yeah. that you would interpret as um, being disliked, yeah. being viewed as a radical or fanatic or a, you know, less than in some way. And so we're dealing with, and there's, and there's other reasons, I'm sure. Rick probably has a few in his mind, but I think that having to give up some level of comfort and, and the fear of man more than the fear of God, I think, is behind some of that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Rick? Um, I think the economy, the, you know, the, the economic reality of we only have so much time I think that factors into it. And so we can, you know, in in normal life, we want to be folding in these normal Oikos fellowships that we've been talking about, which means, that, and for every time I'm meeting with, we're having another um, believer's family over, I'm not having my neighbors over. Mm-hmm. And we have p- piano lessons and these, you know, other commitments in the life of the church and where we show up to those things. And so where, are, where are the margins, right? So we're not exactly in an age of margin. And so we're like John pointed out earlier, we're, we're rubbing shoulders with people less and less. And so th- I think that's part of it too, because typically you're not going to sit there and call someone to repentance and faith in Christ. Dinner number one. Hey, we're so glad you came over. Would you like to repent and believe in the gospel? No, I just came for I came for spaghetti. What do you? What What is this? You know, and then they think that you only care about them because you want to convert them. Yeah. And it's like I care about you, so I want to convert you. But there is a way to do that that does not go 
very well sure. in the eyes of unbelievers, and it can seem disingenuous, even if it is genuine. Sure. So I think those are some reasons too, in addition sure. to all the ones I agree with that John just said. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess this final question is personal for you two, um, because because you guys are in the ministry and you you are dealing with with the believers in the church. Your your time is strained. Um, but Paul, Paul writes to Timothy in his last letter. He says uh, to Timothy, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry, 2 Timothy 4.5. So with, with your guys' schedules and, and your focus here on the particular ministry at Sun Valley, how do you guys do the work of the evangelist? How do you evangelize? Oh, an evangelist? Uh, an uh, evangelist. Yes, of an evangelist, yes. not the evangelist. Yes. Right? Oh, sorry. Did I say you said the the, the evangelist? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But I I don't Literal. want you to be throwing people off here. <laughs> the evangelist <laughs> is different than an evangelist. I don't know. In the Greek, it might be something different. I don't know. It's different. <laughs> the has a definite article. That's the definite article. Is the an is an indefinite article. If you want to open your Greek manual. Yeah, if you want to understand me at the base, I am an indefinite article. I, <laughs> I'm a, I am a genuine indefinite article. Well, one of the things that I think we need to make sure people understand is that when in Paul make, giving this command to do the work of an evangelist, uh, he's not saying that the work of evangelism is the work of those in professional ministry. Right. He's not saying that. Right. Right, I think that it's clear in Jesus' command to be evangelistic, he was speaking to the church at large, including the apostles who were present. Right, go and make disciples. That's the, that's the role of the church, and if you're in the church, that's your role. That's what that's what we do. So that's the first thing I think we need to know when we're looking at this particular command from Paul to Timothy. Doing the work of an evangelist is not just the pastor's job. Yep. It's our job as a whole, as a group, as individuals within the church who know Christ, who have unsaved friends. So, you know, and I, and I say that because it's it's been a it's been a misconception for you know a long time. That, well, that's why we hired a pastor. You know, yeah. you go out and and do your evangelism. Well, actually, the 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 idea of oikos argues against that particular approach or that particular persuasion. The oikos, we, we talked about this last night in our small group. Your oikos, your second oikos, is different than my second oikos. Mm -hmm. We have some overlap, but the reason that you are still part of the church and breathing on this planet is because you have people in your circle of influence that I will never reach mm -hmm. and vice versa. And the same with every single person in our church. We all have different peoples in our group, in our second oikos that is unique to us. No one else is able to connect with them like you can mm -hmm. from this church, be, be it because of employment or where you live, on the street you live, um, because of your interests. There's, there's people within your second oikos that just don't cross my path. So... It's up to you. the The assignment's been given to you, yeah. um, to be that voice of the gospel, that voice of Christ, um, to them. So, you know this this particular command. Uh, 
is for all of us, not just the pastors, but sure. it includes the pastors. So I think for myself, I'll just speak for myself. I need to be intentional. If I, if I don't have any intention, I don't do much of anything, yeah. including evangelism, especially evangelism. If I don't have it before my mind and before my eyes with maybe even a written out goal, I won't accomplish much. Yeah. So I think it's important that we're intentional. That's the reason I coached soccer for 31 years was because it forced me to be in community with people who didn't know Jesus. Yeah. And that was my, that was, I kept that front and center in my thinking when I was dealing with those high school kids and their parents. And so I, sometimes that's what we need to do. We need to, you know, most of, most of Sun Valley has jobs that, that uh, include unsaved people at those jobs. That is the obvious first place to go, right? The person sitting next to you in the office, Mm -hmm. uh, the person working next to you at the mill or the clients you that come into your office or whatever um we need to be intentionally looking to how we can get the gospel to them right whether that be through an invitation to church through a a deeper deeper deeply or deeper growing relationship over coffee or lunches or what have you maybe like rick said inviting them over if they're that type of relationship but if you just say, well, when the opportunity arises, I'll do my best to remember. It won't happen yeah. <laughs> if that's your plan. Uh, like Joe Aldrich used to say to us in our, in our evangelism class, he says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Right. And so you've got to have a target. You've got to have a purpose. You've got to be intentional. Mm-hmm. What are you doing personally to intentionally be communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to your friends, your family, neighbors, your coworkers. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Rick. Well, um, for pastors, there's uh, evangelism ought to be part of the formal ministry though. Also, you know, which I think is also something that Paul's hitting at. So there needs to be the personal faithfulness because uh, pastor is no different kind of a Christian than anybody else and so they got to be living the normal christian life um in their spheres of influence that they have and in you know what is what is the center of all of the ministry the formal ministry that you know paid elders do then to be laying the foundation of the gospel and building on the foundation of the gospel Mm -hmm. all of life is built on that Right, so that's why there are evangelistic calls in sermons, and the gospel is explained. It's not because uh, you've forgotten it, though. Maybe you know there are, as Christians, we have a really, uh, we're pretty good at, at living like we've forgotten it. Right. <laughs> so right. we exhort right. each other to remember it every day, but it's because there's unbelievers that come to church, yeah. and there's unbelieving, professing Christians that come to church, and so that's part of what doing the work of an evangelist is. Hmm. So, hmm. and it's looking for those opportunities to do, uh, like Paul says in Galatians 6, 9 and 10, he says, do good to all, and especially to those of the household of faith. Hmm. And so the first part, do good to all, means we have to be ready, willing, and primed to do good. Yeah. Because it's in the context of doing good with our neighbors um, that we 
have those opportunities to spur on the kind of relationships in which deeper things come up. Hmm. Yeah. So what verse did you put in our, in our order of service last Sunday, Jeremy, about this? Uh, in our receiving of grace or Peter always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask right for the hope that is within you. Right. Right. Yep. Uh, there's a few things that need to be discussed. One is continual preparedness. Always be ready. You know, don't ever be caught unready. Always have the gospel handy and ready to be shared. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, you're living a life that demands an explanation. That's why people are asking. Always be prepared to give an answer. That means they're asking something. And so how are you living that would prompt people to ask you questions are you friendly are you are you uh, outgoing to the point where you actually love people and care about people are you in their world yeah. why are you here at my daughter's soccer game you know yeah. well let me tell you why you know always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you and a lot of times what they're asking isn't what you're going to be answering the asking is just getting that open door and then you run in there. And so I think that's that's what we need to do. So we need to be intentional, you know, be a soccer coach, uh, go to the jail, yeah. preach at the jail, um, be thinking of ways to get closer to the, the uh, bank clerk that you see every single payday yeah. and or the person at the grocery store or McDonald's drive through whatever, yeah. um, be intentional. Yeah. And then be prepared to give an answer for those who are asking. Give, live a life that demands an explanation. Right. Right. How come you're never fighting and thrashing around like the rest of us teachers, you know, in meetings with the administrators? Why, what's, what's the deal? Yeah. Don't you care about our rights as teachers? Yeah. Well, there's the open door. Yeah. So, I, in fact, you know, this may be not be a, a good thing to admit, but I change my barber when I've had a chance to, you know, lay the gospel out there. And mm-hmm. I, if, once I've done that and once I know that they're, they're fully aware of the gospel, I'll change barbers. Mm-hmm. And I, I've had, you know, multiple barbers in my life. and. I go until I'm confident that they know the gospel, and then, then I go to the next guy. I just figured it is you didn't like your haircut. Well, nobody likes my haircuts, but um, <laughs> I, I, that's not the basis of my decision-making. So it's the same with a lot of things. I think yeah. we need to be intentional yeah. about how we live. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, uh, when, you were, when you were talking about that, just being ready, I was coaching soccer out at West Valley, and we were – playing and I was coaching JV and the JV team was terrible. I mean, just absolutely terrible. And one was of the, it because of their coach? What was it? Well, I think probably. Yeah. Okay. I think it had everything to do were with their you coach. the assistant to the regional coach or, were I you was. The, or just the coach coach? No, I was the coach coach, unfortunately. Oh, okay. So it was all you. It was all me. And one of the, <laughs> one of the varsity players was sitting on the bench and we were just talking during this game as we were getting destroyed. And he goes, I, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, that's a good question. But it, it opened up the opportunity of, well, this is actually why I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, and it was a great... I, I, I had hundreds of those kind of conversations with the kids, like yeah. on the bus. And 
uh, about life and you know struggles at home with their parents or their, their schoolwork and yeah. I remember in one, in our evangelism class it was I think it was with uh, Dr. Joe Aldrich um, maybe it was Hugh Salisbury I can't remember doesn't matter but he would give us scenarios that he would two of us would get up in the classroom randomly picked he would present a scenario and we'd have to be able to get to the gospel in less than two minutes hmm. in that scenario so hmm. I remember one time. There was me, I was the Christian, and this other guy was playing the part of the plumber. And I had to get from a plumbing conversation to the gospel in less than 120 yeah. seconds. Yeah. And that is, that's what I mean by being intentional. Yeah. You can just go through your daily routine and, you know, talk about nothing, or you can be intentional. Right. Yeah. And lead your conversation to Christ. Yeah, I just I just finished a, a biography on D.L. Moody, and his goal was he would not he would not finish the day without having a conversation about somebody's soul. Right, right. Like, yeah, and how would he do that? I mean, it was crazy. Yeah. Some of the illustrations. Yeah. That he would give. Yeah. Like when he was a shoe salesman. Yeah. And shoe, foot size, he would turn to a conversation about Christ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people we can finish here, but I think a lot of people think, well, I don't have the theological degree, I don't have the the training, and I don't think there's anywhere in Scripture that says, well, then that you know you don't have to do it, right? Like you don't have to do that. But I think if we're if we're faithful to the Scriptures, if we know the Scriptures, we're we're called to just go and do it, right? Yeah, and. Uh, I would argue you do have, if you're a Christian who's been a Christian, actually being a Christian for any length of time, I'd argue you do have the training. Because it's yeah. kind of the purpose of the, the shepherd teachers, is to train the you know the people up yeah. to the work of the ministry. Yeah. And uh, I think if someone has been at Sun Valley for any length of time, and they feel like they don't have what they need, it's because they haven't been paying attention. Um, in, or, like, we've actually had numbers of classes on evangelism. And missions you don't say. and discipleship. Oh wait, there's one coming up. We, you know, those classes should be bursting at the seams. It baffles me, and I'm so boxing, but I'll be done here in just a second. <laughs> why, when I'm on security, uh, first service, I I look out and I see f- scores of people leaving and going to their cars when Sunday seminar is about to start. Mm-hmm. What a wasted opportunity! I promise they will not spend a more productive hour from nine forty-five to ten forty-five on a Sunday morning. Won't happen. Mm-hmm. So, show up, oikos, yeah, and be and, prepared. Yeah, and and to to add to that, uh, our sermons week in and week out. Yeah, present the gospel. Uh, copy it. Yeah, just <laughs> just do what he did. Yeah. Really, I mean seriously. <laughs> and another thing, you know, people don't view this as as legitimate evangelism. I think it's legitimate evangelism. How about this? Invite them to church. Yep. You know, I don't feel comfortable. You know, getting in a theological conversation with this person, but come to church, you'll hear the gospel. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's your role. Mm-hmm. You don't. You don't have to be the apostle Paul at Athens. Yeah, you just have to be an Andrew. Come see Jesus. Yeah. Hey, I've got this guy. I want you to meet Jesus. Come. He's over at Peter's house. Come with me. I want you to hear him talk. Yeah. That's that's evangelism. <laughs> so yeah. it's not like you have to be. Uh, a scholar and be able to argue the finer points of doctrine. No, you have to be willing to get out of your comfort zone and invite people. Moses didn't really have the best speaking voice, right? No, no he did not. Yeah. 
I mean, if you can say the words, you're going to hell, you can do this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't leave Let's start the recording over, yeah. Jeremy. This yeah. uh, that was a bad way to yeah. end it. Um, yeah. Show them Jesus. And you, if you know Jesus, you know you can show them. Yeah. So right. Christ and is beautiful. Paul's, Paul's driving motive, right, as he's writing 2 Corinthians 5 was, the love of Christ compels us. Right? Yeah, there it is. That's that's our motive is is the love of Christ. Um, so, church, we hope that this past Sunday, as John preached uh, from Mark, and as we discussed uh, these two oikoses today, uh, that has been encouraging to you um, that you would take this gospel uh, to your friends and family that need to hear it. We love you. We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on the Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.